Uh, we've entitled the series, Our Christian Liberty. And tonight we want to look in Gal Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, and look at the Apostle Paul's defense of the law. Defense of the law. And let's read Gen I mean, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, we are no more longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus." And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a great uh, chapter here as we conclude chapter 3 of Galatians in reference to the Apostle Paul's defense of the law. Uh, you can see in your notes there that we gave out to you, uh, Paul has explained the working of faith in reference to the law. That was the first part of the chapter. Last week we looked at that. And Paul wanted us to understand that it uh, well, faith, how faith works in conjunction with the law of God. And uh, then tonight as we look into this, he's going to be going to evaluate the working of the law in reference to faith. In Romans chapter, just as a sidebar here, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, I, th I thought it was a good passage to kind of cross-reference to what is being said here. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And so Paul's building a defense for the law in Galatians chapter 3 in reference to the, the law bringing us to Christ and if, if the law is the one that condemns us, is the law sin? And so he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. Oftentimes in, in the world in which we live, people just want to talk about the New Testament and talk about the grace of God, and the grace of God is sufficient to save us and deliver us, and we can't be saved by our works of the law but that does not make the law sin because we would not have known sin unless there was the law. And so we don't ignore the law of God and abandon it. He said, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin taketh occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. 
For without the law, sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Uh, see, a person gets under conviction and understands their need for life in Christ because of the condemnation of the law. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, For sin taketh occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, and that sin by the commandment, uh, might become exceeding sinful, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And so they were trying to dismiss the significance and importance of the law. And Paul said, oh, wait a minute, you need to remember the working of the law. You need to remember what the law has done in our lives in that the law reveals that we're sinful. And when the law says, uh, thou shalt not covet, and we, we covet other people's possessions, that shows how sinful we are. When the, when the world, world law says, thou shalt not bear false witness, and we tell lies, it shows how wicked we are. Now, we would not know what is sinful if the law had not said, thou shalt not do this. And uh, the, problem, the problem in America right now with all this lawlessness that is going on is that people are not enforcing the laws of the land. And uh, the, people are not being condemned for their wrongdoing because they have ignored the reality of what the law says. And what happens, people live their lives separated from the commands of God. And then when you talk to someone and say, uh, you know, the Bible says we're all sinners. And they say, well, I'm not a sinner. And the reason why they think they're not a sinner is because they have not identified with and understood what the law has said. And so the law, Paul says, is good because of the fact it revealed to him that he was a sinner. And if we don't understand that we are a sinner, then there's nothing that we need to be delivered from. And so we won't receive Christ as our Savior. And so a person can't get saved until they get under the conviction of the law of God that reveals that they are sinful because they mixed the target. They've missed the command of God, and because of that, they have to get right with the Lord. And so Paul, last week, as we saw, explained the working of faith through the reference of the law. But tonight, he's going to be going through and evaluating the working of the law in reference to faith. And the law brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at this real quick. Notice, first of all, our first point is the service of the law. In uh, verse 19, he comes out with a great question. Wherefore then serveth the law? So what is the service of the law? Uh, what, what is the purpose of the law? And so he starts out by identifying the law's intention. What did God intend to do with his commands and, uh, that he gave to man? <coughs> so the law's intention. First of all, it shows that man need, uh, man's need for justification. It says, wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions 
till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, uh, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So how does man realize that he needs to be justified in the eyes of God? It's when God shows to him his violations and contradictions of what God's demands or commands require of man. And so the law's intention was to show man his need for justification. You know, it's always interesting. You go to Revelation and it talks about, uh, gives a whole list of those that will be in the lake of fire. And it says, and all liars. And uh, I've, I've witnessed the people and they've said, well, well, you know, I've never sinned. I don't sin. I said, well, do you ever tell a lie? Well, you know, maybe a little white lie. You know, I mean, everybody tells a little lie. Oh, uh, well, what about Revelation? It says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Why? Because it's the law of God's intention is to show us that we need the justification of God. Man cannot be justified by his own works, but he can be justified by faith. Therefore, by faith, we've been, I forget the worst now, went out of my brain, amen? And uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So man is not justified by his works of the law, but the law shows his need for justification, and that brings man to faith so he can be declared just in the eyes of God. And so the law's intention was to show man his need for justification. It was also to convince man that he's unable to save himself. If, if he violates one point of the law, he's guilty of the whole law. And so if we're guilty of the whole law, how can we uh, even perceive in our minds that there is something that we can do to deliver ourselves when we're constantly breaking the laws of God. And uh, it, it's just always interesting. I've, I've had people over the years and get caught up with this sinless perfection movement and this, that, and the other, and they take a position, well, you know, I'm not a sinner. I never sin. And uh, all right, well, let's, let's start evaluating your life. Let's start talking about what your thought process is. Let's, talk, let's start talking about how you react to situations in your life. And you're going to tell me you never sin? No, you sin. And you violate the laws of God. And because you violate the laws of God, it convinces us that we must confess our sins, for he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will not acknowledge and be convinced that the law of God condemns us, we'll never come to a point of crying out for God's forgiveness. And so the intention of the law was not only to show man his need for justification, but it was also for the purpose of convincing man that he is unable to save himself. And then is the intention of the law was to lead men uh, to Jesus Christ. And uh, the law uh, does not lead us away from God. The law leads us to God through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, and uh, verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What is he saying? The law entered so that what we thought, all right, it might not be right. It may not 
be good, but it's not that bad. But the reality is the law of God increases the devastation of the sin that were involved. And so when the law entered, the offense abounded. In other words, we are more guilty before God when we understand what the law of God says. And it says where the sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin might reign unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Isn't it interesting how many questions Paul's asked and just making people think about who they are and what God has said and what they must do. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And that, that is really where the rubber meets the road. God gave us his law to show us that we need his justification to convince us or convict us that we're unable to save ourselves. And so we have got to go to Christ for his grace. And when we go to Christ for his grace, then we no longer are bound to the sin that now is dead in Christ. And now we have the ability to live unto God because of the grace that abounded that was greater than the sin that condemned us by the law that God gave. It's the intention of the law. God wants man, men and women, boys and girls to be uh, saved. So the law's intention. Notice back in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, we see the law's addition. The law's addition. In verse 19, it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression. So the law was something that was added to man. And uh, first of all, if it was added, it is not a part of the promise to Abraham. And we're going to see this as they go through. He's going to be mentioning and reminding us of the promise that was made to Abraham. So the law was added. That means it was not a part of the promise to Abraham. And if it was not a part of the promise to Abraham, then the law could not invalidate the promise. God promised Abraham he would give him a son miraculously. And as we look at that promised seed that was going to get, be given to Abraham, it was a type, if you will, or a picture, if you will, of the Messiah, of the Christ that would come and become the sacrifice for the sins of man. And God would add his law to man, requiring man to live according to that law. But understand this, the law that he gave did not disannul the promise that he gave and fulfilled in the life of Abraham. And so it was added, but it did not, uh, was not part of the promise to Abraham, so it could not invalidate that promise. The other thing is this, it was different than the promise to Abraham in that the promise came directly from God and the law came through Moses. And this is what I mean by that. When God was going to send his promised seed uh, in I, uh, Isaac, 
And uh, as he would send him and he would promise that he would make Abraham a mighty nation and it would be through the promise seed that would come and ultimately what Christ would do as the promised seed of God. That promise to Abraham did not go through someone else. It was direct from God to Abraham. But the law that would show man his need for Christ and show man his need for justification did not come directly to man. It came to Moses. It was through Moses that God revealed his law that Moses gave to man that condemned man so that he would realize that he needed a Savior. And so the law's addition. Notice the, in verse 19 and 20, the law's exposition. Uh, in other words, what does it reveal? In verse 19, it says, Wherefore, then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So it's an amazing statement here, the law's exposition. Uh, this promise came through a mediator, but wait a minute. If there's a mediator, it implies that there's two parties. But God is one. So that means the law as it was given as a mediator through a mediator, there was somebody else that was being mediated with. There was someone else in this experience. And of course, that was Christ with Abraham. And uh, there he was the mediator between God and Abraham. Why? Because the mediator implies two parties involved because a mediator that is needed establishes a contract. And God made a contract with Abraham that he gave him a promise that he would give him a promised seed and that through that seed all the nations of the world would be blessed because through that seed he would establish a nation and the covenant that he made with him is between God and Abraham himself. Now, you know, Jesus said in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the blood of the new covenant. And uh, literally, but New Testament. The word New Testament there means New Covenant. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And his law was established uh, that, that God ordained that it would be accomplished through the mediator that would be coming. There is but one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so there is a contract that was signed delivered, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And we, as the children of Abraham, because that's what it says as we get to the end of the chapter, through faith in Christ, we are children of Abraham, that literally we have a covenant with God through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shows us that through the law's exposition. Notice the law's contradiction. That's going to catch you. You're going to say, wait a minute, there's no contradictions in the Bible. Well, don't yell at me yet. 
And uh, verse 21 through 23, notice, says, Is the law then against the promises of God? In other words, he's saying, is there a contradiction? Is the law against the promise of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. And so, first of all, notice that the law's contradiction is this. There is none. Gotcha. Amen. You thought I was going to say something that was heresy. <laughs> the contradiction of God's law is that there is none in that the law uh, complemented the gospel by preparing the way for the promise. The law of God, we're going to see in a moment, I want to get ahead of myself, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law of God was preparing man for his need to go to a Savior because the law of God was going to condemn man. And so uh, there is no contradiction. Uh, there is no contradiction. The second thought is this. There is none in that the law was not competitive with the gospel because it pointed men to Christ. Notice in verse 22, it says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. I think many times people are afraid to preach on or teach on or talk about the law of the Old Testament. It's almost like we think that the law is in competition with the grace of God. It's almost like we're, we think the law is contradictory to the gospel of Christ. But the reality is it's the law that brings us to the gospel of Christ. Because without the law, we don't see any need to go to the gospel of Christ. And so the law, there's no contradiction because the law was not competitive with the gospel. The law was pointing men towards Jesus Christ through the gospel. And then in verse uh, 23, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Uh, there's no contradiction. There's none in that the ceremonies compared the pattern of righteousness in Christ. The Old Testament law, the Old Testament ceremonies uh, that was established for Israel to fulfill and to observe were a pattern, if you will, or a picture of what the righteousness of Christ would do in the heart and the life of man. And I think many times people just kind of miss out on the fullness of all that Christ has done for us because they don't understand the working of the law in the Old Testament. Man, I, I, I tell you, when I got saved, I was in deep conviction of my sinfulness. When I got saved, I was overwhelmed with the reality that if I did not get saved, it meant that I was going to hell. And I felt that way because the law of God was revealed to me and it condemned me. And yet we want to get people saved and never talk about the law. We want to get people to pray prayers, but we never talk about why they need to pray a prayer. And so Paul really is helping us to have a defense of the law, the service of the law, what it, how it worked and why it worked the way it did was to bring us to Christ. So we see the service of the law. Verse 24 and 25, 
we see the schoolmaster of the law. School's about ready to open, amen. So we want to always have the schoolmaster ready. It says, uh, verse 24, it says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to, unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. So here, here's a couple of thoughts here, schoolmaster. Uh, the immature need a tutor. You know, oftentimes kids uh, say, well, I don't understand why I got to go to school. It's because you're immature. Well, I don't understand why I've got to learn this. Because you don't know it. You know, and, and listen, the law of God became our schoolmaster because we were immature spiritually because we did not know who God is or what God expects of us. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in uh, verse 15, it says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, but which they, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, for as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. See, the problem is man has to be brought to God, and man can only be brought to God through the schoolmaster, which is the law. And so the schoolmaster is our tutor. The law is our tutor because we are immature and we're unintelligible about all that God is and what he expects out of us. So how can I, how can I know who God is? How can I know what he wants me to do or what he wants me to be? I'm going to tell you, I'm got, I've got to read the word of God and let the law of God to instruct me of who Christ is. So the immature need a tutor, but also... The informed graduate from the tutor. You know, it's always exciting when you go through school and every year we have graduation. It's always exciting to see the kids come their 12th year and finish up all their work and they're ready to graduate and the excitement that they've completed their course. Well, when you know who Christ is and you experience the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of Christ, from the filthiness of sin that was revealed because of the law, I mean, it's a liberating experience. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that hence, ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over unto lasciviousness, which means to want or desire that which is forbidden, to work all uncleanness and with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. So why, why do people live that way? Why do they live their life consumed with sin? It's because they have not learned Christ. They've not understood the mediator of the new covenant. They have not experienced 
the forgiveness of God through faith because they've not seen themselves in need of the forgiveness of God because they don't understand the law. The law is our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. And then in verse 26 through 29, we see the surrender of the law. Notice in verse 26, he says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So I see the kinship. Uh, as many as received him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's John 1, 12. And so we're kinship. We're family. Oftentimes people, I think we forget that, but when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're adopted into the family of God, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So the kin, kinship. Then I see in verse 27 and 28, the relationship that is developed. Notice in verse 27, it says, And as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So the relationship that we have is based on our relationship with Christ. It is not based on the fact that we may uh, be from a particular town, a uh, particular country, a uh, particular background. No, it's based on our relationship with Christ. In Galat uh, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Know ye not that as so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ was baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in the death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And because of the fact that the law brought us to faith in Christ, it was our tutor that showed us a need for the, the master to instruct us. Uh, we became brothers and sisters in Christ by faith and trusting Christ our Savior, and we've developed this relationship that is totally dependent upon Jesus and Jesus alone. And where problems come in, where divisions come in, we start identifying our needs for one another or our connection with one another based on our friendships, our relationships, our desires, our, our wants, our lack of want, whatever it may be, and we start losing interest with each other because we've lost interest with Christ. And so it's in Christ. So here's a couple of thoughts here. First of all, he says in verse 27, uh, for as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So the word put on there literally means, in your notes there, you can fill it in, to take on the very virtues and excellencies of Christ. And so we don't live right. Yeah, we have, we have examples to follow. Paul says, be ye followers of me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow examples in our life, but ultimately our one, the one that we are following is Christ. We are taking on, we are putting on his virtue. We're putting on his excellencies, and uh, he has to be our all-sufficiency in all that we are, and our relationships with each other are enhanced and blossom and grow strong because of the fact 
We become more like Christ each and every day. We put on the virtue and the excellencies of Christ. And then he says this. There, if that's a case we're putting on Christ, he says there is neither Jew nor Greek. And so Jew nor Greek means uh, racial standings will not do this for us. You, you, you cannot develop a strong relationship with Christ and with others based upon race. It doesn't work. There's no Jew and there is no Greek. We're all one in Christ. And so racial standings won't do that. Uh, he says neither bond nor free. So that means social standings won't do that. We hear so much about social justice and this, that, and the other. That is not what that is, is going to cause unity in our nation. The thing that will bring unity in our nation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we stand in Christ, then we become one. It's not based on racial standings. It's not based on social standings. And then he says, neither male nor female. It's not based on gender standings. Gender won't do it for us. It just it tickles me in the world that we live in today, you know, the politicians and the political stuff that goes on. And all the, all the talk about, you know, our... Uh, presidential race and who's a, who's a, uh, Biden going to pick for a vice president, uh, a choice for a vice president and this, that, and the other. And all the talk is about, well, he needs to choose a woman. He needs to choose an African-American. Uh, he needs to, to choose someone who is uh, highly respected or social standing. And that, that we will, listen, we will never we will never bring unity in this country or in this world by determining our relationships with one another based on race, based on gender, based on society. It will never come to pass because we are one in Christ before we're one in anything else. So faith in Christ alone makes us one. That's why he says he's for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's where we find our identity. That's where we build our camaraderie. That's where we experience our abilities is in relationship to Christ. Our faith in Christ makes us one. So I see the kinsmanship. I see the relationship. And I see the inheritance, I don't know, A, B, and then I went to D. That should be C. Wow. And now um, we see the inheritance in verse 29. It says, and if you be Christ, he just built this defense about the law bringing us to a oneness in Christ. And then he states hypothetically, if you be in Christ. If you be in Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It is not in reference to us being Abraham's seed and we are all Jews. We are Abraham's seed because we are all Christians, because we trusted Christ as our Savior. So in the inheritance, notice first of all, identification according to the promise. Our identification is not according to 
to trends or society or people or whatever it is, our identification is according to the promise that God gave to Abraham that the seed after him would uh, become a mighty nation and all nations of this world would be blessed. It's based on the promise of God. You say, well, how can you know somebody can be saved? Because God promised it. And the promises of God are, yea, and in him, amen. So identification according to promise. Then there's glorification according to promise. Uh, we glory in who Christ is and who God is and what we are in them based on the fact uh, that the law brought us to a point of needing faith in the Messiah that would come is Christ Jesus, and through that faith, we know we're entering into glory. So what a great chapter. Paul's uh, defending of the law of God, and certainly we're not saved by the law, but it's faith because of the law condemning us that brings us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're wonderfully saved. And so if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, or you're watching by live stream, you're not sure you're saved, I want you to know the law of God condemns us. The law of God shows us our need for a Savior, and Jesus Christ will, will deliver you tonight. He, Jesus said this, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And I'm thankful when I cried out to God as a sinner in need of forgiveness that God didn't say, I don't want to hear nothing from you, you're a wicked man. I, I'm glad that when Peter told Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, that Jesus didn't say, hey, go ahead, go on your way, I don't want you. He didn't do that. I'm thankful that God is always willing to save us, forgive us, and cleanse us, because his law is what condemns us, but it is Christ who fulfilled the law that accomplishes the ability for man to be right with the Lord. Well, I hope that was a blessing for you. You can look up those Bible verses uh, in the lesson, uh, do a little study yourself, and uh, hopefully it'll help you in understanding our relationship with the Lord by faith because of the law. Is there anything we need to add to our prayer sheet tonight before?